From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. In 2020, we brought you the story of the last family left on Nauru. Just over a week ago, that family was released. They were among around 26 refugees freed from detention. So today we're airing that episode again, featuring journalist Hannah Ryan on the story of Mustafa and Salah. Their story is a reminder of what hundreds of refugees have endured within the Australian detention system. It's Monday, April 18. Hannah, can you tell me where this story starts? So this story begins in Baghdad in Iraq in 2013. Salah's brother had been killed and Salah had reason to think that he might be next. My dad, he lost one of his brother and the thing is getting more hard on him. They start uh, threatening him, no schooling there, I stopped schooling. I don't go out much because it's very dangerous. And so they decided uh, to flee. Salah didn't have enough money to bring with him his wife and his younger son, so he just took Mustafa. They flew through Abu Dhabi, through Malaysia, and then onto Indonesia, where they got on a boat to Australia. Then they were taken to Nauru, this place that neither of them had ever heard of, and Mustafa describes it as a real shock when he got there. Everyone had a very long beard. Everyone, the like dog, you know, people crying, people they want to sleep. He talks about the heat um, and seeing the tents and just wondering how they're going to sleep and how they're going to live like that. The camps is like tents. And I think even if it's an animal, animal, if you put them in the tent that time, he won't survive. So it's been almost seven years, so they arrived at the end of 2013. And in fact, um, they're actually the last refugee family on Nauru now. Everybody else is either a single man and there's one single woman. And what has that been like for them? What have they done for the past seven years to cope? So for Mustafa, he's developed this hobby, which is bodybuilding or uh, fitness modelling, as he calls it. Uh, In his first year in the camp, they actually opened a gym. And I was like very interesting, like to go to the gym, do something, because it was very boring inside at the camp. He said that back in Iraq, he was actually more into soccer. He was a goalkeeper, um, but he, it wasn't possible to play that in Nauru. So he started lifting weights. Like my first time, I just was like lifting weight, you know, impress the people, <laughs> impress the girls. <laughs> So I was there and was a couple of friends that are from different countries. And I was like, I'm the younger person. Like I was like around just 16 years old. So I started training with them and they was like teaching me how to lift the weight, how to lift the bar, the dumbbell. A lot of people, they, they told me, you're not going to be good. You are very skinny, blah, 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 like that. And I just, I don't listen to anyone. I always listen to myself. And this thing became lifestyle, like I became love, love this sport. The way that he talks about it, I think it's a real uh, way for him to have a sense of progress. Because this thing is same flower. If you, the flower does it, like don't give the water to the flower, it will die. And I can't stop. You know, Mustafa hasn't been able to study the way that he, he wants to. He hasn't been able to have a career and that sort of thing. Bodybuilding is not about you having muscles or 
just lifting weight. Bodybuilding is all about mentally, physically and emotionally. You have to mix it all together and you have to train. Nauru obviously doesn't have a whole lot of great medical facilities and it doesn't have a lot of medical staff either. So anytime you need any kind of tertiary level medical treatment, you will need to leave Nauru. So back in 2016, the Australian government started looking around for other states that might agree to take sick refugees on Nauru and provide them with the medical treatment that they needed. And eventually in 2017, they found someone to agree and that was Taiwan. They go there in in groups and they stay there while people get treatment. So that can be for up to months, which is what happened with Mustafa and Salah. I went on the private jet from here to Taiwan. And when we arrive, arrived at the airport, I can't wait to just put my my leg on the on the ground. I want to walk, see the streets, the people. So they flew together at the start of 2019 to Taiwan and stayed there for a couple of months. Like my feeling was I'm super energy and like positive, yeah, smiling all the time. I said, wow, like, yeah, like that's freedom when you have freedom. And can you tell me about their time in Taiwan? Yeah, so Mustafa is so, so dedicated to his training that even when he, you know, had this upheaval and ended up in a different place entirely, he immediately found a gym to keep working out at. So he found this gym in Taipei. He started training. And the owner of the gym, he offered me to compete for fitness model. The gym owner sort of asked him what he's up to and told him about this championship, this national fitness modeling championships, which happened at Taipei University. The thing is, I don't have coach. I'm the coach for myself. So I called my friend. I was telling them, uh, I'm going to compete for fitness model. I need some program because I have just one month. And they said, are you crazy? And I said, yes, why not? They said, because you have to at least you have for three months. And I just like, you know, I hang up the phone. I said, I don't want to listen to anyone and I will work it. So he started, you know, planning his meals. He cut out sugar. He increased his protein and did this intense training regime and actually did get ready for the championship. That moment where he's standing on stage and competing in this championship and he's the only one kind of 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 his ethnic background and, you know, all eyes were on him. People were wondering who he was, where he'd come from. I was very good experience to stand up on the stage and show everyone who you are. And he ended up placing sixth out of more than 30 competitors. I said, how how are these people, they're going to choose me from 33 people? (laughs) And they just like called my name and I was like freaking happy. I've been working all these years on myself and I I get my certificate, my name on it, and that's very important to me. So Mustafa actually was offered a contract to train at the gym where he'd been spotted and he was also offered a contract to work with a clothing company and be sponsored by that clothing company. I have a lot of offer to clothing company, sponsor and training, like, you know, training there with them as a, as a team. But he had to go back to Nauru because these medical transfers to Taiwan, they're only temporary. So he wasn't able to take up those opportunities. They offered me to stay with them there. And I was telling them my story... And they said, oh, well, I'm very sorry to hear that. We'll be back after this. 
Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for, please. <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, this. If, yeah, that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hannah, we're talking about Mustafa and Salah, who are the last family on Nauru. Salah has watched his son grow up in detention. So what was it like for him to see him succeed at this contest in Taiwan? So listening to Salah talk about his son's bodybuilding, it's actually quite endearing and and perhaps a familiar kind of sentiment where his dad is is very proud of him, but he doesn't fully understand exactly what is going on with bodybuilding and what it's all about. And that memory of, of his son in Taiwan, he's obviously very proud that his son worked so hard for this goal and kind of met the goal but he also dwells a little more on the on the sad side of the story. So for him, he told me that his son was asked when he entered this championship, which country are you from? And he didn't know how to answer. And so you said that, that this is the last family left on Nauru. Why, why is it that they're still there after so long when others have been able to leave and, and resettle elsewhere? Mustafa and Salah have both been recognised to be refugees under the Nauru Refugee Status Determination Process. But the main avenue for resettlement for refugees, which is the US refugee swap deal, wasn't available for them. They did apply twice, but they were rejected both times. And I don't understand. I ask everyone why I'm here, still here. Like, I came here with my dad. And no answer. And that's the thing, make me crazy, make me mentality drop down a little bit. Speaking to Salah, it's, it's very heartbreaking to hear him say how he's watching all the people his son's age leave and his son is left behind. And so both of them are, are confused and there's this question that you, you always circle back to when you talk to both of them, which is why us? Why are we the last to be here? Why are we still here? Uh, and so it's it's tested, I think, both of their resilience. It was very hard because, you know, you've been spending a good days and you're coming back. And actually Mustafa said kind of for the first time he feels like his focus on his training is being diminished somewhat. He told me he can only focus on one thing at a time and while he's thinking about the other families leaving and his friends starting new lives in the US and being out in the community in Australia, that really takes away from his training. All my friends, I don't have any friends right now. <laughs> All my friends, they are gone. They're waiting for me in Australia. When are you coming? When are you coming? And no answer. You know, in the whole time he's been in Nauru, he's never sought mental health help. But in the last few months, something's changed for him and he's finally had to start seeking help. We have a lot of talented people, smart people. They already lost their mind. And I don't want to lose my mind. I'm not coming to, you know, we came into Australia for better life. And from child, I raised myself being here, you not know, studying. I haven't seen my mom. 
It's this sadness, this kind of questioning, why me? And, and really a game of endurance and, and patience that they've both had to play. Sometimes I sit with myself and I don't know how I've been patient for all these years, you know? I don't know. When you speak to them separately, they'll both end up saying something quite similar about the other one, which is that they can tell that the other one is growing tired, that they're worried about them. And they both say about the other one that they can see that they're trying to hide that from each other. And they both say about themselves that they're both feeling increasingly desperate, but they also don't want to show it. I don't want to give up because he deserves a better life and I want to make a better life for him. This man is, is freaking good. He's legend for me. And yeah, he's been with me for father, mother and best friend, everything. So Mustafa's best option and the thing he's most hopeful about is going to Canada. He and his dad put in applications for this private resettlement program last year, so they're just waiting to hear back about that and hopefully they'll be able to reunite with uh, his mother and his brother in Canada there. Otherwise, things are becoming tougher for him as he watches his friends leave, but he's still holding on to that belief that one day he will leave Nauru. He just doesn't know when that is. My future is, I just want to go out from here straight away. I want to compete. I want to stand up on the stage again because my goal is to stand up on the Mr. Olympia stage, man physique. And that's my, my dream. And I can do it. Hannah, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au.